To ice or not to ice? That is the question. When a pitcher comes off the mound. But that's the least of what we're tackling today on Baseball Pitching the Fix with pitching motion expert Angel Borelli and me, your host, Joe Janish. We're also going to get into the different types of soreness that a pitcher may feel, including the types to shake off and the types to pay close attention to. And why pitching through pain is a really bad idea. Oh, and we may have a fix for David Price and other pitchers who throw across their bodies. All this and more on Season 4, Episode 2 of The Fix. Here we are in Episode 2 of Season 4 of Baseball Pitching The Fix with baseball pitching troubleshooter Angel Borelli. And Angel, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, Joe? I am fantastic. Unfortunately, there are a lot of pitchers that are not so fantastic. Oh, um, no. I know. It's, you know, we, we started talking about it in um, our first episode, episode one. And, you know, I, I mentioned during the episode that we had, uh, I, I had counted over 40 pitchers in major league camps that were injured. And I'm keeping I'm keeping track of what's going on with them. You know, they they had all these different ailments, generally, usually with the elbow or the shoulder or dead arm or uh, soreness or fatigue or other random things. So we, we did get a question from uh, from one of our listeners asking if if my count was only of major league pitchers or all professional pitchers in spring training camp. So I just wanted to make clear that uh, those those the people that I counted are major league pitchers. And if anyone is interested in seeing that list and the ailments that they have, you can go to fixingpitchers.com and you can see the entire list. And I actually just did an update uh, recently on all of those pitchers. And, and out of the 40 or so that had some kind of ailment, there are only two that are active. Every other pitcher is either on the disabled list or sent down to uh, the minor leagues or in extended spring training or released. So, you know, that doesn't bode well. We have a whole lot of major league pitchers on the disabled list right now, um, you know, and some big names, you know, some, some really big names, Houston Street, uh, Sonny Gray, Steven Matz, uh, Andrew Kashner, uh, Chris Tillman, you know, there's the Homer Bailey. These are guys that, you know, we've m- most, most fans have heard of before and they're all on the shelf. Um, and we just had a few more injuries pop up over the last, over the last week or so. Uh, for uh, for those people uh, listening in the future, we're recording this in mid-April 2017. Uh, you know, some of the injuries that have popped up since opening day. Garrett Richards of the Angels was just put on the DL with a bicep strain. Uh, he he, uh, for people who remember, Garrett Richards tore his UCL last May, but instead of getting Tommy John surgery, he decided to do stem cell therapy, uh, PRP injections, missed the entire of 2016. Now he started in 2017, still has some kind of issue. Uh, They're saying it's not related. I don't know. A bicep strain to me sounds like it could be related to an elbow issue, but you would probably know better than me, Angel. Yes. Yes. I would say that, yes, it's related. Definitely. Yeah, they they like to say that it's not related because an MRI confirmed that there was no structural damage to the UCL, mm-hmm. but but we know that 
body parts are actually connected inside the human body. So if, if there's yes. an issue with one, you know, it's it's probably going to uh, have a problem with the other. Um, another picture that just went on DL from the A's, John Axford. Uh, he has a strained shoulder. Uh, not much clarity on what's going on there. And uh, more recently, Clay Buckholtz of the Phillies just was diagnosed with an MRI. It said that he had a partial tear of his flexor pronator mass. And also a minor league prospect for the Yankees, James Caprillion, was also diagnosed with a, a flexor tendon injury. And from what I understand, both of these pitchers will most likely be getting Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, Angel, I, I know that we've, we've talked about Buckholz and a little bit on Caprillion because you're a Yankee fan and you love these hot prospects and phenoms. Uh, and, and it sounds like they have the two of them have very similar injuries that, and we, I know we've talked about flexor pronator mass tears before, but maybe you could shed some light for uh, some of our newer listeners and some people who just want to get a little, a little reminder on, on what kind of an injury that is. Yes. Well, you know, anybody who's been following us knows it's my major passion is to inspire pitchers and coaches to make sure that the forearm of all the pitchers stays healthy. And the thing is that's upsetting to me about this is, especially Buckholz who had a tear, to, the forearm muscle is very complicated. I mean, if you just take a look at it, and everyone should just remember that the forearm is working all day long. So it's loaded with what we call slow twitch fibers, meaning it has major endurance. Think about it. Your forearm works all the time. Every time you turn your hand or you move your wrist, which is all day long, your forearm, all the muscles that come from the, the tendons from the fingers, the muscles that cross the wrist insert in, the, uh, in one part of the forearm or another. So it really is a strong muscle for it to tear Unless it's some strange, what we call acute injury, and acute injury is like you're totally fine, you fall down the stairs and you pull your hamstring. That's an acute injury. You're limping around for days because your muscle is sore, uh, you start to limp more, you start to limp more, the limp stays for three months. That's a chronic injury. Very rarely, I mean, for a forearm muscle to have an acute injury, first of all, they would be saying that. In other words, he'd throw a pitch, boom, something's wrong, they pull him off and he's got a tear and he never had any symptoms. But normally, you're going to get some symptoms. And what I get concerned about with the forearm is because of the fact that it, the chances of it being a, uh, an acute injury are that there were symptoms going on and they were not being acknowledged, and then it eventually tore. And the forearm is our first line of defense on UCL injuries. The forearm muscles are supposed to give protection to the underlying structures. That's actually what muscles do. So really, in a sense, because he tore his muscle, which means that he tore from the tendon, meaning the muscle pulled off the bone. In a sense, you could look at this like his muscle did its job. The muscle is supposed to protect the bone and the ligament underneath. The, it's sort of like the foundation of your house. If your house looks great after an earthquake, but an inspector comes in and sees a crack, well, if the foundation isn't fixed, you will eventually not have a house that's standing correctly. Uh, this is why we want ligaments and bones to stay intact. So in a sense, it tore 
because it did its job. But for it to tear like this means that he probably was ignoring some soreness. And the problem is pitchers do get used to having certain types of soreness and pain if they're from a certain old school way of thinking about pitching. And so he must have been ignoring it. And what I think is important for all of us to start doing, and I know I have tons of coaches that listen to this podcast, is let's start encouraging and educating the pitchers to address soreness right away and let them know this doesn't mean you have to shut down. It means that if today you walk off the mound and your forearm's sore and it should never be sore, it is not a body part that is okay for soreness. Like the rear of the shoulder, you'll get sore, it'll go away. But forearm soreness is not okay. It means that maybe you threw more uh, you, you, for some reason, the muscle just wasn't strong enough to do what it needed to do. So one way, like Buckholz, when I was reading and doing research on him, he had been giving up all these hits and runs, like all of a sudden, he was just really bad. Coaches, when you see a good pitcher go bad, trust that he still is good and that there's something wrong and always check with the forearm first unless he's complaining of some other part of his body make him talk to you and the thing is is that the forearm needs to be strong so the protocol for pitchers who are getting just simple little symptoms is number one training in the gym to strengthen the forearm I mean it's why I dedicated seven years of my life to do research on my elbow book I wrote because I was inspired by a major league pitcher that called me and told me he had forearm in soreness and didn't know what to do about it. So the thing is, is that if you jump on it right away, you're going to have success with handling it. And I know this because as I always tell people, I'm lucky enough now to have been doing this work for so long, 22 years with pitchers every day, that I can tell you, if you jump on the soreness immediately, it will dissipate. So the forearm needs strength. Your pitchers that are at the greatest risk for forearm problems are the ones that throw throw change-ups or or split finger fastballs when your fingers are spread apart on the ball very far apart the wrist is the most unstable and so the forearm is working harder so those pitchers if they start to have a problem and you think about their pitch uh, their pitch arsenal those are the ones that are the highest risk and of course power pitchers a forearm can just get tired and what that tells you is the strength of it is not offsetting the use of it and you know that as humans our forearms don't get sore during the day why because they're strong enough for our skills and it's why if you look at a tennis player or someone even you guys that hit, use a hammer all day you look at your your dominant arm that forearm's going to be bigger it actually develops to accommodate so what the the weakness is is telling you guess what congratulations you're throwing harder than you ever have before your forearm's not strong enough to keep up let's get it stronger and you get in the gym immediately and you get rid of that soreness and then you don't have these tears so the take-home message from book is coaches when you see a good pitcher go bad 
trust that there's a reason for it and he may not be telling you. I mean, remember, pitchers, this is their job. They don't want to go running to you every time they feel something. So a lot of times you have to assume they're not speaking up. And secondly, make sure you have great programs for your pitchers where they are constantly, my pitchers train their forearms twice a week. In season, off season, preseason, Every season, all year long, the same guys train with me, and this is what we do, and they don't have injuries. And remember, the forearm is critical to protecting the UCL. So unfortunately, Buchholz's forearm muscle did its job, but why it got this bad is what's scary to me. So coaches, be on the lookout and pay particular attention. And the other thing, Joe, this is kind of a, a thing I thought about. For those of you coaches who have pitchers that are also hitting, so if you've got National League, if any National League coaches are listening, or especially in high school, you want to remember that the forearm is taking a real beating and hitting. And again, it can accommodate it. But let's say a pitcher on some day gets crazy. And let's say he goes and swings the bat 300 times and then he goes and pitches. He's and this is him just on his own doing a bullpen. If he doesn't connect the dots, and let's say all of a sudden he has some forearm soreness, ask him, when's the last time you picked up a bat? I mean, don't be alarmed if even on a professional pitcher you hear him say, oh, you know what, it is weird. You know what, I was hitting last night and I took 500 hits. I mean, you have to be a detective, especially when it comes up out of the blue. So remember that while everything may be fine, if he does something crazy, and he may be doing something crazy in the gym as well, that could be the reason. So investigate what's going on, and sometimes it could just mean eliminating or rescheduling something, educating him and saying, don't do that again, and then also jumping on it right away. And also maintain that range of motion of the forearm. Take a four-seam grip on a hardball, Sit in the dugout and with the arm straight in front of you, rotate that forearm, bend the elbow, rotate the forearm, and keep that forearm flexible. And all pitchers should do that, particularly the ones that are throwing exotic pitches where the wrist is, you know, uh, a little more compromised. So that's the gift that we get from taking a look at some of the major leaguers that are having trouble right now. Well, Angel, I'm going to give everyone um, a minute or two to rewind and listen to what you just said two or three times and take notes because there was so much good information right there um you know just the just the fact that i think that a lot of pitchers and coaches don't realize that they can they can strengthen strengthen the elbow through you know training you know because everyone always talks about doing the uh the job's exercises or the rubber bands or whatever you want to call them for the shoulder and every pitcher you know that i've ever seen does does those exercises religiously, but very few are even aware that they can strengthen the elbow. And, and you know, with your book, um, Engineering the Pitching Elbow, with, with all the exercises, I mean, I, I feel like every single pitcher, and I've said this before on other shows, every single pitcher, every single coach should go to your website, gymscience.com, and buy that book and read it and apply it. It's so important toward keeping the, the UCL and the elbow and strong and preventing injury and also toward performance. Uh, you touched on a couple other things too that you know, and I'm I'm really frantically scram, you know, scribbling notes as you're talking. You know, you you mentioned that for a pitcher to have an injury like this, they had to have had some kind of discomfort or pain or something that they were throwing through. And I don't know about Buckholtz, but I know for sure that the uh, the Yankee phenom 
Caprillion last year in 2016, he he was dealing with a, a what was being termed a flexor tendon injury, and I think he he was shut down around midseason or at some point. I mean, so he already had this this issue with with the flexor tendon, and you know I don't know what happened. I don't know if they made a, a mechanical adjustment. I don't know if he did an elbow strengthening program in the offseason. I don't know what happened, but apparently whatever he did or didn't do, it wasn't enough to stave off what what has already creeped up in uh, last year's. I mean, it's, I don't, you know, it's, it sounds like he was already down a road and, you know, needed to put on the brakes and turn around or, or do something, but he just kept going down the road of, of what turned out to be inevitably, uh, you know, an injury that is going to require Tommy John surgery. And it's, it's really too bad. Um, And, I think it. The other thing that you mentioned that really hit home, especially for me, is is the part where you said that you know you shouldn't feel pain in the forearm, and you know you you can feel soreness in the shoulder and other places, but the forearm is some place where you really shouldn't be feeling pain. And if you do, uh, you know you you talked about the the old the old school thing of you know dealing with the pain, and I I see it all the time. I hear it all the time. I see it on the field. I see it written in. Uh, in newspapers, I hear it from coaches, I hear it from other pitchers. Oh, you know, it, if, if you're going to be a pitcher, you're going to have to deal with some pain. I, we have to eliminate that that idea. It, it's, it's a big part of why we have been seeing so many injuries over the past few years, because it, it's it's become like a almost like a rite of passage, like, oh, well, you know, if you're a pitcher, you're going to feel pain. You know, I mean, maybe you're going to feel soreness after a start, but you really shouldn't be pitching through pain. I mean, we we dedicated an entire episode last year to this to this idea, and, and I just want to keep driving it home and keep saying it until everyone hears it. Do not pitch through pain. It, it, all you are doing is is putting yourself in peril, and it's it's eventually going to put you on a surgeon's table. And 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 it it just it just makes me right. crazy that that it, it's it's like something that is completely accepted and. It's almost like, you know, this tough guy thing. Well, you know, if you're not tough enough to pitch through it, then, you know, maybe you're not tough enough to be a pitcher. It, it's, it's ludicrous. Well, you know, one thing I would love every coach to do is to call a meeting of all the pitchers and relabel soreness. Um, we all love when our cell phones give us a indicator that our battery's going down. We really love that as opposed to we're in the middle of a conversation and the phone dies because we didn't know our battery was low. We all want to know ahead of time that something's going wrong so that we can immediately jump on it. And in this day and age, there's ways to immediately jump on pretty much everything that goes on. If pitchers would start to, and coaches, relabel soreness especially in its initial stages, as the body sending you uh, your battery is low signal, then the pitchers will be more forthcoming. Coaches, they need to know that you are not going to just write them off because they do come to you. Things need to always... Now, I'm not a physical therapist or a doctor, so everyone should know that when my pitchers call me and say, Angel, my forearm got tight from last night's outing, my method is always in the gym. 
we do movements and it restores it because your body parts are movement oriented. We are a machine before we're anything. So movement usually helps it. I don't even, because I'm not a, a doctor, I don't even say ice it or do this or that. In fact, my whole thing is don't do anything. Let's just exercise and see how it responds. And I've kept most of my pictures injury-free for years and years. So just know that when it first gets sore, this is a time to go, hey, pick up that ball and do this, you know, a hundred times. Or let's get in the gym and do this for your forearm. Blood flow to the muscle that hurts and normal range of motion usually restores the problem. This is why if you get on it in the first hour or few hours, so if you could have a meeting with your pitchers and say, guys, listen, we understand you're using your body. Just like you're talking on your phone, you're using up the battery. When it tells you something's wrong, let's get on it right away. Let's have a season where we're going to see, can we offset soreness within 24 hours? Because I have been able to do this time and time again. So I know it's possible, but it causes, it creates a need for relabeling. And coaches, I know you guys that listen to this show are the best because you take the time to listen to other ideas. And I know that we can start a movement where we can get the pitchers to be more upfront, because I believe absolutely, especially in the major leagues, no one wants to get laid off. No one wants to lose their job. In high school, no one wants it to go on like they're missing innings. So max prep shows no innings. So they're, they're doing something to protect their future, not realizing they're shooting themselves in the foot. If we can relabel this whole thing as not being dangerous and, and that it's going to actually help, then we actually can accomplish the goal of protecting a pitcher's future. So I would love to know that coaches grabbed all their pitchers, had a meeting and say, hey, listen, let's start something new. Let's let's try to get on a soreness that's unusual within the first few hours. And just to remind you, if it's not the rear of the shoulder and it's not the lat up at the, up at the insertion point under the arm, then the soreness is not okay. Front of the shoulder soreness isn't okay. Bicep soreness isn't okay. Forearm soreness isn't okay. Pec soreness isn't okay. All those muscles should be strong enough to, should be keeping up in strength with the power of the pitcher. So please, let's start relabeling it. Let's see if we can start a movement. And I think that that is probably one of the major things that needs to be addressed because these guys are going too far. They're too deep into it once we find out. And like, for example, the tear. I can't even imagine what that forearm has been through to where it finally said, okay, you're not listening to me? Boom, I'm going to shut you down. And that's what the forearm said. And so it had to have been whispering to him, I think. I mean, of course, I don't know. But, you know, the poor pitchers out there that feel that they have to disacknowledge some of these messages from the body, we want to change that. So that's my advice to get things happening on a different level. Well, I, I wish there was one pitcher in particular who had heeded this kind of advice or, or had already un, uh, gone through this culture change of um, understanding soreness because the, ne- the next person I want to talk about is David Price you know who's one of the one of the best known and one of the best pitchers in baseball over the the past you know five seven eight years he he's currently on the disabled list he 
uh, in his first spring training outing on February 28th, he uh, he had to get shut down right afterward because he had what was termed elbow soreness at the time. And at the time, it, you know, he, he was trying to kind of play it off and he was saying, oh, you know, this is no big thing. I experience this kind of soreness every spring. Every spring he, he experiences this kind of soreness. Well, you know, it was the 2017 spring that finally that soreness was so bad that it took him off the mound. Uh, and, and through all of March, he experienced weakness in his elbow, what he called weakness. Uh, he had an MRI done. Uh, he saw some doctors. It was, the diagnosis was an elbow strain. Um, you know, and I, from what I understand, he just finally through a few days ago or maybe it was a week i think it was about a few days ago he finally threw off a mound uh you know we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen next with david price but you know it's exactly playing into your point you know here here's a, a pitcher who claims he's felt soreness around the elbow every spring he just throws through it like you know that this is this is the culture this is what pitchers are taught to do or what they learn to do and, um, you know, eventually it, it does catch up with you. And and speaking of Price, uh, I know that you've seen him pitch before, and I, I know um, you have some interest in him, and, and I do too. And I was just wondering, you know, when you look at pitchers like him um, and they have trouble with the elbow, uh, pitchers like him getting getting elbow problems, feeling soreness, feeling swelling, is there anything, is there, is there a connection between that and uh, the way they throw the ball, their mechanics? Like, are there any flaws that you see in, just in general with, with pitchers like him and, and um, the result being elbow soreness or swelling? Um, yes, and actually, Joe, let's use this as my teaching moment to all the coaches and pitchers that are listening because there's a few points here that I think are so important, particularly for you coaches when you're watching the performance of a good pitcher and there's certain patterns of issues that you're seeing around the plate that can give you an indication that something's about to happen. So first of all, I want to remind everyone that, you know, first of all, as a troubleshooter, my job is to connect dots. Now, when it comes to actually pinpointing and saying, okay, this is what this pitcher is doing exactly, I need to see video from four different sides before I open my mouth. I never, ever say anything about a pitcher. I would never disrespect a pitcher unless I really knew that what I was saying was true. And so, David Price, of course, I was unable to find video from four sides. So I want to just use him as a talking point because what's so interesting to me is in doing my, what I call, investigation. And I am an investigator, and that's what a troubleshooter does. We have to look at and connect dots that may not seem even connected. So here's what's so cool about him. And just to cut to the chase, everyone knows that David Price in baseball language, you guys call it throwing across the body. And that to me is something I, uh, with my brain, has never really understood because the pitcher's actually stepping across his body. So I don't get it throwing across his body. I kind of can see what you mean. But David Price, who is a left-handed pitcher, and his right leg, of course, is his lead leg. His right leg plants very far to his left. That I was able to see from different videos. Now, 
what's really cool in my field is we've got sports scientists in the lab that are correlating injuries with mechanics. So I know from up front, this is one of the first things I learned 20 years ago following research, that that is a mechanical flaw that leads to extra stress on the elbow because the elbow comes through in a different way when a pitcher steps across his body. Now, the other thing that's interesting is in doing my research, I happened to fall upon a, uh, a, a, a talk that a hitter, an ex-major league hitter, who is now a sports announcer, was giving, talking about how it was facing David Price. And he happened to be giving this interview last year when David Price was struggling again around the plate. And he was talking about the fact that when David Price can hit both sides of the plate, inside, outside, he's so hard to face. But that when he gets into his trouble, when he gets into his phases, which sounds, Joe, like what you were saying, he's had trouble every year, he's only able to hit the inside of the plate. Well, following your guy's theory that he throws across his body and he's a left-handed pitcher, when a pitcher who can hit both sides of the plate effectively all of a sudden cannot command his pitches and can only throw it inside, you want to look to see, is his foot starting to move back and forth? And so I, of course, made the connection immediately to, because one of my jobs is, and again, I'm not a pitching coach, but I'm a body coach, and I know what is produced by the movement, and now I've been working long enough to be able to connect flaws with misses. And so that flaw of inside and this this expert hitter saying he's got times when he commands both sides of the plate and he's doing great. I went to see, could I find video of him when he was doing great? And sure enough, guys, even though I had limited video, I saw foot placement that was different. And hopefully someone has told him that by him being able to have his foot placed correctly, he's going to not only take the forces off his elbow, but he's going to improve his performance. Now, why does this happen? When you have a pitcher who is stepping across his body, what's really happening is he can't get his hips through because he's so crossed up that his rear hip will not be able to square up initially. The hip will be lagging behind, the arm has to come through, the arm arrives ready to deliver, the pitcher's smart enough to know his hips aren't square, so he takes an extra moment with his elbow and his arm, and in that extra moment, he's exposing it to extra forces. And actually, the force that accelerates the ball is happening late on the ball. It's happening not as quickly as it would if the pitcher were square and starting his acceleration path at the moment of squareness. His shoulders are square. He's not square. He's got to take an extra moment. This increases the forces on the elbow, but does doesn't do anything for the forces on the ball. So, and then again, we have these misses around the plate. So here's an example of first what I was saying earlier. Guys, if you have a pitcher that's going, that's good, but all of a sudden there's some real issue that's a pattern. I don't just mean, oh, he missed one pitch. He's a pattern. Investigate first, of course, about his physical uh, prowess is anything going on with him physically but look to see if all of a sudden some of the stuff that you can see with your eye 
have changed. And particularly with when you see someone who cannot command around the plate who previously could, and I'm talking about right to left or left to right, that miss is usually coming from the rear hip not getting through and the stride being off. Those That is a connection, Joe, that I can say as a troubleshooter, I see probably eight out of ten times when that situ- when a pitcher comes to me and says, Angel, I cannot find the plate to save my soul and this is how I'm missing. The first thing I look at is what do they look like when they're facing the plate? Because obviously this is target shooting, right? And these this is from pitchers who can find the plate. I'm not talking about a little kid who's never thrown a strike in his life. I'm talking about a situation like this. So guys, this whole thing of stride landing, while I know you pitching coaches hold in esteem some of the pitchers who have the greatest deception because they throw across the body, Okay, cool. They're getting away with it. And yes, they're putting extra stress on their elbow. But in terms of what a lot of you coaches want, he is probably getting the job done. And my hat's off to him. But when his error starts getting into a bad performance, for example, some of the pitchers in the major leagues who we think they're so great, but they're so weird, that's what you're saying now. But if he starts hurting, you have to go look at the weirdness. If you want to leave it alone while he's performing, fine. But if he starts to have elbow problems or he starts to have performance issues, you have to take a look at the weirdness. And in David's case, because there has been such a pattern, and then because I saw that when he was doing well, his foot was way further to his right than when he has a bad problem when it's further towards his left, then I say, okay, there's some connection here. And my job is to make connections that are simple because you don't really want to touch his arm. You want to touch his foot because that's way simpler. And if you're right, guess what? You'll know because he'll be locating his pitches and he's going to love you forever. So these are the connections we want to make and the take-home messages we want to take from our major leaguers who are injured. Now, I have no idea because I haven't seen David Price's film, but this was one interesting connection I was able to see. And I would hope that... um and my guess is that because he's doing well, we're, I'm, the next time I see him, he's probably going to have corrected this. The other thing is, guys, when you have a pitcher you've corrected this with, start keep watching to make sure they don't drift back over where they're not supposed to be. So that's another little take-home message. So all you coaches can go take a look at that positioning on your pitchers that you can't, you're scratching your head trying to figure out why can't they not hit this side or that side of the plate. Wow, that was that was really comprehensive, Angel. And uh, I hope David Price is listening, uh, or at least someone listening that can that can help him make that adjustment. You know, uh, throwing across the body, I know you don't like that term. It doesn't really mean what it's supposed to mean. Um, I, uh, I think you're, you're right on point when pitching coaches ideally don't want their pitchers to throw across their body or, or step across their body or whatever you want to say. Um, but as you, as you say, if they're pitching well, there's that theory. Well, if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if a pitcher's pitching well with that style, they 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 say, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess with him because if I mess with him, maybe he's not gonna be as effective as he was 
you know, uh, striding properly. And, and I, you know, I, I've heard that argument about deception. I'm, I'm not 100% uh, believing that stepping across your body is something that creates more deception than if you're properly lined up. Because I think we've talked about this before, is, is if your mechanics are in line the way they should be, there should be deception. I mean, there, it should be there anyway. Um, and, and, and the other argument is deception, that extra deception doesn't help much if you're sitting on the bench with your, <laughs> yes. with your arm in a sling, right? <laughs> that's, that's a really good point. We love, I, I know that coaches love when the ball, the, their pitcher's ball comes out of nowhere and the hitters can't track it at all, but you're absolutely right. Um, when an injury comes out of nowhere, uh, yeah, you, you always know where the pitcher's at and he's sitting on the bench. That's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, I, I think the Red Sox would be a lot happier if David Price had a little bit less deception, but was on the mound and firing bullets to both sides of the plate <laughs> yeah. and, and was feeling healthy. I mean, no, honestly, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, th- there's, there's a point where you have to say, well, is the pitcher really that good because he's so deceptive or is he that good because he can put the ball where he wants to put it? And if, and if it's, it's the latter and it probably is, I mean, I, I you can only you know, go so far with pure deception. And and there's only so much that you can really, uh, there's only so much of an edge you can get with pure deception. I mean, you, you have to throw strikes, you have to change speeds. Um, that That's that's how you get betters out. It, I mean, deception, of course, is part of it. But I, th- I think, uh, I think it's used as an excuse to allow a lot of pitchers to get away with what they get away with. Um, so w- we've already covered a lot. I mean, a lot of stuff. I've got, I've got like three pages of notes here that I've been scribbling while I've been talking. Um, do, do we have more, more science yeah, on the Yeah, we have you? a little bit of science for our getting it done section because, as you know, I'm inviting coaches right. to send in questions. And um, I, I have another question from a coach and one of our listeners. And this is, I'm just going to read what he said because I think he's uh, – I get this question – so much during the year and I've gotten recently probably four or five texts or um, uh, emails so here is what he says he says I would like to hear from you and Joe about post-pitching routines for recovery for example I am getting conflicting information on ice for arm and shoulder immediately after an outing another long distance running the next day good bad or no ruling so uh i thought that was a great question and i want to talk about it because of course um one of my claims to fame that got me so many uh clients way back in 2010 is when i came out with um, a warm-up program for the shoulder for before they pitched but that wasn't the golden nugget the golden nugget was the post-pitching recovery program so the guys would go to the fence with the band before pitching and do a program that was kinesiologically set up so it's set up doesn't look like pitching at all it's joint by joint but I came up with some movements after that were um, important for pitching and and this is how it all came about I just started in about 2005 pitchers were saying my arm's sore after I pitch or my arm isn't ready when I throw so I started giving them movements to do when they came to work with me and after x number of years they said Angel this is so good and so I put it into an actual program for uh, on a DVD so it's from the pitchers that I heard it works also 
the post-pitching part, which was what I call my baby, uh, I loved because when do, from doing research for my thesis, I saw that a few things happen to a pitcher uh, when he comes off the mound. So plenty of sports scientists measure muscle strength. And one of the things we know is that the front of the shoulder, the supraspinatus, which is part of the rotator cuff, and the decelerators in the rear of the shoulder, additional muscles from the rotator cuff and the shoulder, take a beating from pitching. And when the pitcher comes off the mound, those muscles are the ones in the back completely sort of like stretched out because they've been slamming on their brakes through the whole motion. The muscles in the front, of course, are the accelerators. They get tight from being used. So if you can think about this, the front is tight, the rear is long. So in recovery, you want to make sure that whatever you decide to do is addressing that. And you and everyone knows who trains in a gym or if you've ever been a bodybuilder, every muscle has a window of opportunity for whatever it is that your muscle has been exposed to and what it needs. <clears throat> for example, bodybuilders know You've got to eat protein within 30 to 90 minutes if you want that protein to get back into the muscle. If uh, Long-distance runners know if you want the carbs in the muscle and you want to get it in there fast, you've got to ingest those carbs within 45 minutes after you finish your run. Okay, so we know the muscles have windows. Well, they also have a window for changing the blood flow, for changing the characteristics of that muscle, so you can set it up for recovery. So for post-pitching recovery programs, you have to address the needs that I just said, which is releasing the front of the shoulder and tightening up the rear of the shoulder. So my guys do a program where they use exercises with a band. So when you look at what you have your pitchers doing for warming up, some of those exercises would be perfect to extrapolate and use for the rear of the shoulder to restore its integrity and in, and not do anything for the front because when you're contracting the rear of the shoulder, you're actually in a very friendly way stretching the very aggravated and tight front of the shoulder. So the back of the arm, the back of the shoulder, the lat, those are muscles that you definitely want to be addressing in a recovery program. Now, what is why does this recover it so well? It actually sets it up for recovery because it brings the blood in. Blood flow is critical to healing. It's why sometimes you can have a muscle injury and let's say you have an injury to your back and you sit down and you go to stand up and you can hardly move. But wow, wow, after you walk for five minutes, that muscle feels great. Why? Because muscles love blood. So with that in mind, blood is critical. So my recovery program and what I recommend to pitchers is don't do anything that distracts blood from the area, which is what icing would do. Now, they've done tons of research on icing, and we know that if you've got an injury, it's your favorite friend. And it's the first thing that doctors will do is put your hand or your shoulder or whatever under ice. I'm talking about a normal wear and tear. They've done tons of research, and here's the only thing I can say to you to pass on the research. There's been no proof that it does harm, and there's really no proof that it moves you forward in recovery. I, because I understand the need for blood flow, 
I my philosophy is let's bring blood into the area to help it recover and that's how I educate my pitchers most of my pitchers do not ice unless once in a while they say you know what I threw 130 pitches and um, I wanted to throw some ice on and that's probably because they probably did feel some inflammation so they kind of answered what their body was asking for but I think as a protocol you really want to enhance recovery by enhancing blood flow and that is probably the most important thing you want to do so have them work with a band to work with rear deltoid exercises um, external rotator exercises on the fence with a very lightweight band to restore that uh, tricep movements to restore the integrity in the back of the elbow and to stretch out the bicep and of course releasing the forearm and that's when you know you're really hitting the nail on the head and if someone does say oh no I can't give up icing let them do it you never want to take something from a pitcher if you know he's not damaging it but tell him as soon as that temperature returns to normal then he should do some exercises. Bring the blood back in. Remember, the blood carries the immune factors, and the immune system have their little cells that they send out to all areas where there's damage, and there is some damage from pitching, you know, good damage, and it, it goes in and it does the healing. And so that's what I want to reinforce, and that's the way that you deal with good post-pitching programs and can create one for yourself if you don't already have one, and, um, and, and that's my answer to this question. And as far as long-distance running goes, I know you all know that I, as a sport, working in the field of sports science, I always match a sport to what its needs are. And again, long distance running is a tank of gas that baseball players do not even own. So to make them run long distance is asking them to use an energy system that isn't really developed in them. Stick to the running that matches the sport or the seconds that it's used. Any pitcher does not need to move any faster than he needs to get to first base to cover it. And baseball players are still in the same pathway. So if they're running more than hundreds uh, with full recovery between bouts, you're actually creating problems for the pitcher. So that would be my quick answer to the long distance running. And there it is. Wow. Well, I, I think that... Um a lot of people out there are going to be a little shocked at some of the things you just said because for a uh, hundred years, uh, every pitcher after an outing comes off the mound, goes to the dugout, puts that big bag of ice on his arm, maybe maybe three bags of ice on his arm. Uh, they've even created like special jackets mm -hmm. that have the ice packs already built in. And you know, for those for those who uh, have watched spring training games, you know, mm -hmm. the pitcher comes off the mound. Ice is down, and the next thing he does is he mm -hmm. goes out to the outfield and mm -hmm. starts running poles back and forth, back and forth, and get back and forth. So you've just completely trounced uh, those two myths. <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, uh, but let's remember when he comes in between outings, he's warming his uh, shoulder. He's putting the jacket, he's throwing it over his pitching shoulder because it feels better as it stays warmer because he's going to use it again. Well, remember, you're always going to use your shoulder and arm again. So that's one thing. And the other thing I want everyone to make sure you heard this. 
I am not saying that ice is bad. Research, I go according to research. It hasn't shown one way or another. That's why you have to do your own thinking on this. And I always give catchers or pitchers the, both sides of the story. My pitchers who have done, um, you know, a program forever, they don't usually use ice except for once in a while. So I always leave it in the hands of the pitcher. If it was something dangerous, I would be trying to deter them. But... I always say, if you're going to do that, then do something when your shoulder returns to normal temperature to bring in the blood. Don't eliminate blood flow. It takes too much longer to recover. And as I said, everyone knows this. Once you move around, your body starts feeling better. And that's what we want for our pitchers. Right. And and you are, are more diplomatic because you're a scientist. I, as a coach and being in, being on the field and working with pitchers, you know, most of my life, this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of, I, I, I kind of can I guess this right on, now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, and an open-minded coach who is open to new ideas and open to learning more and, and understanding that there are things that we don't know about and things that we're learning all the time. Uh what what science has told us about icing yes it may not hurt um, but for all we know it, it may um, uh, prolong the recovery process so there, here's here's my thing yes we we know that ice is ingrained in our heads yet put the ice on and it's just part of the thing and it may even be a, a mental thing for for a lot of things or a psychological thing um, if you ice and just once just one time after you pitch don't use the ice and 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 do the the recovery exercises that that you can find in Angel's book again gymscience.com you can find all that um just try it just try it one time and see how how it feels and how you feel and and how you feel going into your next outing just just try it once and and then if if you know if, if you feel like there's a psychological thing with the ice then go back to it but just give it one try that's that's what i'm saying and then you know if if it were my pitchers i probably would be a little stronger in my recommendation and i probably wouldn't allow any ice in the dugout but that's just me anyway that uh pretty much wraps it up for uh episode two season four of the fix uh angel this this was a fantastic episode i think uh we've learned a heck of a lot there's uh, so much stuff that we can take to the mound and and uh i just want to thank you so much angel you're very welcome and, um, you know, please, uh, if, if you really enjoyed this show as, as much as I did, please share it with your friends, with, uh, with other um, parents of pitchers, with pitchers, with coaches. Uh, you know, be sure to go on iTunes and hit the subscribe button so that you can get these episodes automatically. You don't have to go find them. You know, we really would appreciate a, a nice little review. That'd be great. Uh, if you want to learn more about Angel and get all these great exercises and the, and the elbow book, go to gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to fixingpitchers.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at fixingpitchers. And that's it for another two weeks. We wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mat. It's a wrap.